So Deuteronomy chapter 31, I want you to look at verse 8, which is our theme verse for the year. The Bible says this, And the Lord, He it is that doth go before thee. He will be with thee. He will not fail thee, neither forsake thee. Fear not, neither be dismayed. So all of those things, if you read them and take them all, uh, really every one of them into account, you realize that these are great things and that all of these things will allow us to conquer through Christ. Romans chapter 8 and verse 37, the Bible says, Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors, not through Christ, but through Him that loved us, which we know to be Christ. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 13, the Bible says, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. You see, it's all throughout the Bible. We can see those things. And I'll be honest with you, when I look at these passages, I get excited. Because there are things in my life where I think, I just can't conquer this. I don't know how I'm going to overcome this. I don't know how I'm going to do this. I don't know in what way we're going to get here. But they excite me. The question is today, do they excite you? Do these words excite you? Do they spark something within you that makes you want to do something for God? You see, this message and this series and this year is about doing something for God. It's not about sitting in your pew. It's not about staying where you're at. It's not about uh, regressing at all. It's not about backsliding. It's about moving forward. It's about conquering through Christ. In fact, if anybody sits still or move back, moves backward, I think that we've failed. Now, you failed perhaps as a Christian if you're going to write something down, I want you to write this down this morning. If God be for us, who can be against us? Found in Romans chapter 8 and verse 31. If God be for us, who can be against us? Again, it's not a quote that's given to me, but it's a quote that is from the Bible. It is God be for us, who can be against us? The fact of the matter is, if God is for us, there's nobody that can be against us. There is nobody that can, can fight against us because God is all-powerful. God is creator of all. God uh, is, has already conquered Satan, and we know that Satan is a powerful force, but he's already conquered him. And this is exactly what the children of Israel had going for them. I want you to think about the history that you know of Israel and think about what they went through. Maybe some of you don't know what the history of Israel is, but let me put it to you this way. Israel is God's chosen people. God chose them for whatever reason. Some of us still scratch our heads as to why God chose the Jewish people to be his people. But nonetheless, he chose them and said, this is exactly the people that I want. And I'm going to be with you and I will never forsake you. And you will be my people and I will be your God. And he chose them and they have this going for them. If God be for us, who can be against us? We see this happen in many battles that they have. We see this happen all throughout the history of Israel, and I want to give you just a little bit of a synopsis of this this morning. They had God on their side, and no one was going to stand in their way. Yet, when they came to a place called Kadesh Barnea, Israel comes to a place just outside of what is called the Promised Land. And they stay there, and they get this place that's called Kadesh Barnea, and they are supposed to go in and conquer through Christ. If God be for them, who can be against them? Yet, they don't go and they don't conquer. Why? Why is it 
that they don't do what it is God promised them that they could do. I want to give you a brief overview of the history of Israel and hopefully draw some conclusions from it that we can apply to our lives today. So the first point I want to give you is, number one, the promised land. The promised land. I want you to think about what that means. The promised land. It's a land that was promised to the children of Israel. So if you were promised something, what would you do? You would take it. If somebody promised me 20 bucks on Sunday, January the 13th, by midnight, I'm going to ask them for it. You promised me. So anytime you want to promise me for 20 bucks, I'm good for that. I will make sure you get it to me. You promised me. You owed it to me. I don't care how you put it, but the promise is there. God told Israel, I am going to promise you this particular land. I want to show you those things. So take your Bibles, turn to Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12 and verse 7. Genesis chapter 12 and verse 7. Genesis chapter 12 and verse 7, the Bible says this, And the Lord appeared unto Abram and said, Unto thy seed will I give this land. There's the promise. And there builded he an altar unto the Lord who appeared unto him. So already Genesis chapter 12, we're 12 chapters into the beginning of the world, and God is saying to Abraham, Unto you and unto thy seed will I give this land. All right? Go to chapter 13 and verse 14. The context around this is that Lot and Abraham are striving together, and and there's a little bit of strife. And the Lord said in verse 14 unto Abram, after that Lot was separated from him, lift up now thine eyes and look from the place where thou art northward and southward, and eastward, and westward. For all the land which thou seest, to thee will I give it, and to thy seed, watch this, forever. And I will make thy seed as the dust of the earth, so that if a man can number the dust of the earth, then shall thy seed also be numbered. Arise, walk through the land in the length of it, and in the breadth of it, for I will give it unto thee. Here's the promise again. He says, I'm going to give you a land. I'm going to give you this land. In fact, start walking it. Start looking at it. Start praying over it. Start looking at where, perhaps thinking about where your children will stay and how they will use the resources of this land. I'm giving it to you forever. I'm giving it to your seed, which shall be as the sand of the sea or as the dust of the earth. Go a couple pages over to chapter 15 and verse 18. Genesis chapter 15 and verse 18, the Bible says, In the same day the Lord made a covenant. Here's really where it becomes a promise. He makes a covenant with Abram saying, Unto thy seed have I given this land. Now pay attention, watch this. Watch how much land he's giving him. From the river of Egypt unto the great river, the river Euphrates. So from the Nile River, the river of Egypt, all the way up north to the Euphrates River. And throughout this series, I will bring a map and show you exactly the land that God promised them. It's much bigger than you think. God has given them an exact now. He gives them an exact covenant and an exact area in which God is going to give them this land. This is a promised land. One page over to chapter 17. 
Verse 7. Verse 7, the Bible says, And I will establish my covenant between me and thee and thy seed after thee in their generations. Watch this now. Not just a covenant, but for an everlasting covenant to be a God unto thee and to thy seed after thee. Verse 8, And I will give unto thee and to thy seed after thee the land wherein thou art a stranger, all the land of Canaan. Watch this. For an everlasting possession... And I will be their God. If you haven't gotten it yet, God promised them a land. It was promised to them. Now, they're standing at Kadesh Barnea. They're in front of a land that floweth with milk and honey. And they're standing there, and they send ten spies in. Twelve spies in, excuse me. And they come back and they say, yes, this is a land that flows with milk and honey. It's a great land. God has promised us this land. And all we have to do is go in and claim it. I often liken to it to as if you were to go to the airport. And you're at the airport and you're standing in the long line and you're standing around this funny looking conveyor belt. And this conveyor belt begins to move and there's an alarm that goes off and then all of a sudden this luggage starts falling out of it. And you see your bag and you just let it go by. That's your bag. And you just let it go by. And you just let it go by and it just keeps going by. You see, that's your bag. What do you have to do? Grab it. It's yours. You don't expect anybody else to take it for you. It's your bag. You get to take that home. All you have to do is claim it. It's yours. They actually call it the baggage claim. You see, this was a promised land. It was theirs. All they had to do was go in and take it. And I want to show you, secondly, the number one, we see the promised land. Secondly, I want to show you the preceding events. The preceding events. You see, before this, they're standing at Kadesh Barnea, and there was many things that happened beforehand. In fact, there were many miracles that happened beforehand. And so it's not like this is their first time that they're going to test God and see if God's going to fulfill what it is that he promised them that they were going to do. You see, they were in the land of Egypt. And as they were there for 400 years, all of a sudden after 400 years, a man shows up by the name of Moses and says that he's going to deliver them out of Egypt. And... Moses, sure enough, starts coming in and saying, I'm going to deliver. And he begins going to Pharaoh and saying, let my people go. And Pharaoh says, oh, no. Over the next several days, several weeks, several months, we see the ten plagues show up. Now, the ten plagues were water turned into blood was the first one. All water in the land of Egypt and the land of Goshen was turned to blood. A miracle Something that was meant to get the attention of the Egyptians. Then the second one was frogs. Frogs everywhere. Can you imagine having all these? Now, I don't mind frogs, but I don't want them in my bed. I don't want them jumping all over me. I don't want them in my pots. I don't want them in my pans. I don't want them in my meals unless they're frog legs. See, frogs were everywhere. Then there was lice Lice. My kids have had some lice at the school that they go to, and we're scared to death to bring lice home. Yet this was a plague. It was everywhere. It was all over the place. And then there was what is called a moraine. It was a cattle disease, so all the cattle died. Then there was boils. And in every one of these, 
Moses goes in and says, let my people go. Pharaoh says no, and he says, all right, then you're going to get this. And it's almost as if on command, boils come, or moraine comes, or lice comes, or something of that effect comes. And then, as if on command, they go away. You see, these are miracles that happen. Then there's, oh, excuse me, I missed flies. I don't think I said flies. Then there's moraine, boils. Then there's hail and fire. All of a sudden, hail comes flying out of the sky, something probably they've never seen before, and fire with it. And then there was locusts. Locusts in the Middle East was a terrible thing because it ate all the crops. So no longer do they have animals. They no longer have crops. Then there was a darkness over all the earth. And the thing I love about this one is, you know, darkness is usually everywhere. You know, when there's darkness, there's darkness everywhere. But there was a fine line between Egypt and Goshen where the Jewish people stayed. This to me is the most miraculous thing because darkness is truly the absence of light and light is the absence of darkness. So there has to be... Darkness either everywhere or God has to do a miracle. So on the line of where Goshen was in Egypt, there was darkness here and there was light here. You ever had it rain in your front yard and not in your backyard? I think that's amazing. This is way better than that because it was darkness on a line. It was not darkness in Goshen. There was in, and then we see the final one, the killing of the firstborn. The angel of the Lord coming through and, and wiping out really an entire nation of Egyptians because they did not put the blood of the, of, of the lamb on the posts of the door. You see, these are all miracles that they saw. They saw these things firsthand. They took part of them. They, they were there. They saw them. But not only do we see, do we see that, I want you to turn to Exodus chapter 13. Exodus chapter 13. Looking at preceding events. Exodus chapter 13 and verse 21. The Bible says this. And the Lord went before them, this is talking about the children of Israel, by day in a pillar of a cloud to lead them the way and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light to go by day and night. He took not away the pillar of the cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night from before the people. So not only do they see miracles all the time, they have a visible picture of God walking, floating in front of them constantly. At dawn, it turns into a cloud and at dusk, it turns into a pillar of fire. That's amazing. That's awesome to see. And it does it every single day. And this thing leads them where they're supposed to go. And it points them in the right direction. They constantly have God in front of them. In the Exodus chapter 14, we see them cross the Red Sea. Moses, take your rod and, and hold it out over the Red Sea. And the Red Sea splits wide open. And they walk across on dry ground. And not only that... Afterwards, the Egyptians come through and they're beginning to go across on dry ground. And then all of a sudden, all the Israelites are through and the water come caving back down on them. What a coincidence. You see, God was doing miracles time and time and time again. Exodus chapter 15, three days after the crossing of the Red Sea, we see that there's bitter water in a place called Marah. Three days out into the wilderness and they don't have anything to drink and the people begin to murmur and complain and Moses finds a stick. 
throws it in the water. Now, it must have been a special stick. God had appointed that stick, but nonetheless, it was a stick. And throws it in the water, and the water becomes drinkable. Now, I've thrown a lot of sticks into the water. I would not throw a stick into the waters of Lake Erie and then drink them. It's not happening. And so that's a miracle, another amazing miracle. We see in Exodus chapter 16, we see manna provided for them. Manna was as if it was a a small wafer and it came from the dew of the ground because they had nothing to eat. God provides for them. Not only do we see that in Exodus chapter 16, we see quail. God provides quail for them and they can grab it out of the air as it comes through. God just miraculously brought them quail. Exodus chapter 17, we see water coming out of a rock. An amazing feat. Again, that there's this rock and all Moses has to do is smack it with his rod and out comes water. Enough to feed almost two million, or excuse me, enough to give drink to almost two million people. You see, there is all these preceding events. So they're standing at Kadesh Barnea. They're looking into the promised land and they're going, God has promised us this land. God has done all these miracles up until this point. But thirdly and finally, I want you to see a pessimistic attitude. A pessimistic attitude. Now I want you to go to Numbers chapter 13 with me. Much happens between Exodus chapter 17 and Numbers chapter 13, but this is where we really want to start our series and pick up the story. Numbers chapter 13 and verse 25. The Bible says this, And they returned, again I talked about the spies going in, And they returned, the spies returned from searching of the land after 40 days. So they're in the land for 40 days. And they went and came to Moses and to Aaron and to all the congregation of the children of Israel under the wilderness of Paran to Kadesh and brought back word unto them and unto all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. And they told them and said, We came unto the land whither thou sentest us and surely, watch this, surely it floweth with milk and honey and this is the fruit of it. And they show the, the cluster of grapes. The Bible says that there was a cluster, one cluster of grapes that had to be born between two people. So we assume that they put a rod between two people and that one cluster of grapes had to be carried by two people. Now that's a big bunch of grapes. I mean, I like grapes, but that's that's enough grapes for a year. This is the fruit of the land. Pay attention. The land flows with milk and honey. God has promised us this land, and he's done all of these other things up until now, but there's still a pessimistic attitude. Nevertheless, verse 28, the people be strong that dwell in the land. And the cities are walled and very great. And moreover, we saw the children of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the south. And the Hittites and the Jebusites and the Amorites dwell in the mountains. And the Canaanites dwell by the sea and by the coast of Jordan. Now, let me. I want to stop you there. Are any of these things false? No. You see, the fact of the matter is that there were giants in the land, and there were the children of Anak there, and there were the the Hittites and the Jebusites and all of these Canaanites and everything, and they have high walls, and there's big cities, and there's all kinds of things. You see, none of these things were false. They were all true. It's very important to realize they weren't making up the story. 
They were truly telling Moses and Aaron and the people what they saw. We're going to pick up the story in verse 30. The Bible says, And Caleb stilled the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once. I love this. And possess it. And possess it. It's ours. For we are well able to overcome it. But the men that went up with him said, We be not able to go up against the people. For they are stronger than we. Again, probably a true statement. They probably were stronger than them. The Bible says in verse 32, And they brought up an evil report of the land which they had searched unto the children of Israel, saying, The land through which we have gone to search it is a land that eateth up the inhabitants thereof. And all the people that saw in it are men, that we saw in it are men of a great stature. And there we saw the giants, the sons of Anak, which come of the giants. And we were in our own sight as grasshoppers. And so were we, we were in their sight, chapter 14 and verse 1. And now watch, all the congregation lifted up their voice and cried. And the people wept that night. And all the children of Israel murmured against Moses and against Aaron. And the whole congregation said to them, Would God that we had died in the land of Egypt? Or would God we had died in this wilderness? You see, there's this pessimistic attitude. The ten spies bring an evil report. They convince the people that this is not something they should do. Look, we can't go up. There's the children of Anak. There's the Hittites. There's the Jebusites. There's the Canaanites. They have big cities. They have all these things. We are not. They're stronger than we are. And they begin to just pile it on. We were as grasshoppers in their sight. We, we in our own sight, we were as grass. We felt like grasshoppers and we looked like grasshoppers. And then they could just smush us with one thing and they just constantly keep piling it on. Caleb and Joshua do their best to convince the people that this is the land God promised This is the land that God has given us, and with His power, they were able to overcome it. The children of Israel, as we can see, and you can continue down through chapter 14 and pay attention and look and see that they end up not accepting the challenge, even though they were promised the land, even though they had preceding events that were miraculous. The children of Israel decide not to go into the land, and they are plagued immediately. And for the next 40 years, they wander in the wilderness. You know, sometimes we're much the same way as the children of Israel. I'm not going to say that we wandered in the wilderness for the last 40 years, but the fact of the matter is, we have the promises of God. Over and over, again and again, God has promised us and said, He will be faithful. God will provide the things that we need. He has given us those things in which we have... have, He said, I will be with thee. He said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. He said, you are more than conquerors. You see, we also have some preceding events in our lives. Most of us sitting here today can say, yeah, I know God has been working in my life. I I can see it. I, I saw it maybe... 10 years ago, I maybe saw it 20 years, 30, 40, 50 years ago, I don't know. But the fact of the matter is most of us know when God worked in our lives. Maybe it's salvation. Maybe, for me, it was four, I was four years old. I remember the day that I got saved. If I have nothing else where God worked, I have that. If God can save me, if God can give me an eternal home in heaven, what else can God do? You see, we have some preceding events, but all too often we become pessimistic. 
And it's so easy to do. In fact, the Bible says, I believe it's in 1 Corinthians, that these things are written for our examples. They're written for us for an example. Why? Because we do the exact same thing. You know, oh no. No, Pastor Yeomans, I would never get to a point where God would do so many great things for me and I would be pessimistic toward him. That you're better than the children of Israel. And you're better than every other person that's ever lived on the face of the planet. Because every person does this. It's, it's human nature. I don't know why. It just is. We become pessimistic. If we're going to bring this home, oftentimes we can have a pessimistic attitude toward our city. The city of St. Thomas. When you say St. Thomas, what do you think? You think it's a great, thriving metropolis, a wonderful place to live, and I realize some of you don't necessarily live in St. Thomas, but for sake of the multitude here today, it's St. Thomas. Some of you might think, well, we have a high drug population. Ugh. You might say, well, people don't have time to talk to me. People don't even want to talk to me. Most people already go to a church. It's hard here. There's not a, there's, there's not a, you know, a million people here. It's not a big city. We mean, it's, it's, it's only 40,000 people. This is hard. And we can gain a pessimistic attitude toward just simply our city. We can have a pessimistic attitude of just about anything. You can have a pessimistic attitude about your spouse. You can have a pessimistic attitude about your job. You can have a pessimistic attitude about your church. You can have a pessimistic attitude about anything you want to have a pessimistic attitude about. You see, it's easy to throw up our hands and say it can't be done. So easy to do that. It can't be done. Well, we might as well just give up. We might as well just throw in the towel. You see, human nature makes that quite easy for us, but I am here today to be Caleb and Joshua for you. Because we, it can be done. I want you to know that nothing is impossible with God. Let me say that again. Nothing is impossible with God. You might be looking at your office and saying, it would be impossible to live a good testimony before these people. Not with God. You might be looking at your public school teenagers and saying, there is no way I can make a difference in my school. There is a way with God. You might be looking at your neighbors and saying, how in the world is he going to ever come to know Christ? With God, all things are possible. You might be looking at your current situation, whatever it may be. My marriage cannot be fixed. There is no hope for me in this situation. What am I going to do next? I'm out of finances. I'm, you fill in the blank of whatever it is. But the fact of the matter is, God is the answer. Now answer me this question. Did God ever leave the children of Israel? Not one time. Because he said, I will never leave thee. I will never forsake thee. I will be your God. Now there are times where he talked about wiping the whole place out. and He talked about all of these things, but he never, 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 never left them. You realize that God will never, never, never leave you if you have Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. So the problem, folks, hello, is not God. Because we have Him. 
The Bible says that when we were saved, we each of us received the Spirit of God and we have God living inside of us as if, as if He's right there with us every single day. So the question is, why then were they not able to conquer the land? Was it because of God? No, it wasn't because of God. It was because of their unbelief. That's it. You see, it's been said, and I'm not the first one to say this, but I believe it. The only thing that can stop God is our unbelief. Because God can do anything. God can do anything only if we allow him. Man, doesn't that sound crazy to you? God can do anything he wants in our lives if we will just allow him. As Christians, we are saved by grace through faith in the blood of Jesus Christ. He has promised us that he would never leave us nor forsake us. And we know that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. God does not change. We know that we serve the same God that healed the blind man. We, we serve the same God that raised Lazarus from the dead. We serve the same God that split the Red Sea. The same God that made water come out of a rock. We know that this is the same God. So why? Why are we not conquering? Why are we not conquering our situations? Why are we not overcoming sin? Why are we not conquering our city? Why are we not conquering? Because it's us. Nobody likes that. Nobody likes to have their, a bony finger pointed at them and say, it's you. But folks, I'm, I'm, it's us. It's 100, 150% us. God is standing there saying, guys, I've promised you some things. I've told you that I will never leave you. I will be with you. But yet you won't trust me. You won't allow me. You won't give yourself to me. It's us. You see, our faith is not in God. Our faith is in ourselves. Our faith is how we view our circumstances. If you'll look at what the children of Israel said that's ten spies, we're as grasshoppers. It's all in how we view things. I'll be honest with you. You look at our city and yeah, you go, uh, there's a high drug rate. Man, people don't want to listen. People don't really care. They don't have time to talk. And you can see everything that's going on. None of those things were untrue. And none of those things are untrue about our city. But we, like Peter, we will never walk on water unless our eyes are on Christ. Bible Baptist Church, we can conquer. I don't care what it is. We can conquer. Our church can prevail against the gates of hell. Our church can make a difference in St. Thomas. You can, teenagers, make a difference at school. You can be a good witness at work. You can lead your neighbor to Christ. You can see your family come back to God. You can see your child come back to God. You can see, you fill in the blank, whatever you're struggling with, you can, you can, you can. We are well able to overcome it. You can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth you. You see, if God be for us, who can be against us? I don't think the message is unclear. I think you all understand it doesn't matter what you're going through. Teenagers in school, if you want to be a good example, don't try to do it in your own strength. 
Gentlemen, if your marriage is not what it should be, I guarantee you cannot do it yourself. It has to be through God. You say, Pastor Yomas, how in the world do we get to that point where we're doing things through God? I'll be honest with you, it's super easy. It's having a relationship with God. It's walking with Him daily. It's spending time in His Word. It's allowing God to change you and motivate you and show you and prick your heart and the Holy Spirit to lead you. And all of a sudden, before you know it, you're doing things that you thought you would never do before because God has given you the power and the strength to do so. Why do you think that for 30 years, Pastor Stone stood up here and said, read your Bible, pray, spend time with God because it's so important. Don't just do it because you have to. Do it because you want to, because you need to conquer through Christ. For those of you that might be here today and say, listen, I don't even know what you're talking about. I don't even have a relationship with Christ yet. Folks, you cannot get to heaven unless it's through Christ. Jesus saith unto them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. We must do things through Christ. You can try to work your way through it. You can try to do the best you possibly can, but the fact of the matter is you'll never do it unless it's through Christ. We can conquer through Christ.